0: Amid the violence and trauma that accompanied the outbreak of the Civil War in 1922, there were some positives to be found. One example is the Irish Free State's first social housing development scheme, the Tenters, which was built that year right in the heart of Dublin City. So, While we prepare to face the difficulties in commemorating the Irish Civil War, there will be no such dilemmas, thankfully, for the residents of the Tenters, who are just about to launch their programme of centenary events. Joining me this evening to tell us more about the history of the Tenters housing scheme is genealogist and Tenters resident Maria O'Reilly. Maria, you're very welcome indeed to the History Show.
1: Thanks, Miles. Thank you.
0: Firstly, where does that name come from, the Tenters?
1: So the tenter's name uh, used today for the area uh, seems to have been born unofficially by a way of reference to the tenter fields that the lands were previously used for. That would have been around the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. The tenter fields themselves were laid out on lands known as Fairbrothers fields, which in turn reflects the fact that they were owned at one time by the Fairbrother family. So the tenters themselves were huge, big wooden structures, whereby lengths of locally produced cloth were stretched out on hooks to dry in the open air. So have you ever heard the term on tenter hooks? Yeah, I was just so going to ask
0: you, is that where it comes from?
1: That's exactly where it comes from. So to be on tenterhooks means to feel tension, like the cloth that would have been stretched out on those tenter hooks.
0: And how big was this area?
1: So the area itself would be 22 acres in size. And if you visualise that area, it would be the same size as St. Stephen's Green Park. Originally, the area was supposed to be quite high density, up to 800 units. But by the time they completed, they had substantially reduced the density and they were left with 400 two-storey houses or cottages.
0: And was this to offer more public space or to give people a back garden, for example?
1: Yeah. So what they did by reducing the density was reduce the houses, Um, which released more land. So each house had a front garden and they had a back garden. They also left land aside, quite a substantial site, which in about six years after all the houses were were completed, that actually went and was built um, as a national school for the young boys of the new community, yeah.
0: So how did the housing scheme then come about? Surely the new government, the Commonwealth Government, didn't just decide to build the development as soon as we had our own government, especially when they were busy fighting a civil war. They probably had a bit more on their minds.
1: No, no, they didn't. Um, So this housing development uh, was first proposed um, in 1912. So it took about 12 years from the idea to the completion of all the houses. So what I did was I looked at a timeline and I used minutes and report books of the Corporation of Dublin as my reference and while it was proposed in 1912 it actually didn't get the finance secured until 1916 so that was four years later and when you take into account the start of the First World War and also 1916 um, it started 1922 was the first brick to be laid and uh, it took two further years then to complete the whole project.
0: So at least some of this development, the first housing development built by the new Irish government, was actually built with British money.
1: Absolutely. While it started off being built with British money that had already been approved, the original budget was added to um, during the construction phase. So as far as I can tell, it went over budget for a variety of reasons. But the new Free State Government wasn't going to let the small matter of a budget, uh, which was agreed under British rule, um, they weren't going to let that halt works. So certainly for reasons for the overspend was due to their vision for what the housing scheme represented. This was the first tenant purchase housing scheme to be built under the new Irish government for the working class families of Dublin. It was a chance to showcase what the new free state could do for the people of Ireland. Therefore, the constraints of budget seemed to be of less importance as the project went on. And the materials and the labour were stipulated. They had to be as local as the contractors could get. So materials such as Wicklow granite for the windowsills and Dolphin's Barn Brick from nearby Dublin Brick Company it was used too.
0: Now, sadly, in this country, we have become used to the concept of the, of the brown envelope and of <laughs> corruption, essentially. And there was an element of that associated with the purchase of the, yeah. the land, which became controversial eventually. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah so I uncovered a couple of controversies and it's always very exciting when you're you're reading through stuff and then you you know you get to understand what's going on so the first controversy came to light before even one brick was laid so we know the lands were owned by a member of the Fairbrother family you know hence the Fairbrother Fields name in fact all along the fa- the planning phase and beyond uh, this housing scheme was known officially as the Fairbrothers Fields housing scheme But it is a mistaken assumption uh, to believe that the Fairbrother family were the landowners immediately prior to the acquisition of the site. At that time, the lands were, in fact, owned by an alderman, Patrick Harrigan. His identity as the owner wasn't noted at the time. And this probably was because of the Fairbrother uh, Fields name connection.
0: And he was Um, a slum landlord, wasn't he?
1: He, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been written that he was uh, one of the biggest slum landlords in Dublin of the time. and, And he received... £10,000 for the site of 22 acres. But what happened then was within a very short time, uh, lands twice the size, so over 40 acres of land in Colester, were bought by the Dublin Corporation for 3500 and, and it was this discrepancy in the value of the land that prompted the discovery of who the previous owner of Fairbord's Field site was. That then led on to the passing of a motion in 1920 on the 13th September, uh, requiring all corporation members or officials to declare if they had an interest in any property, which was either insanitary or being considered for acquisition by the corporation. That then followed by reports that was published in 1923. And it was found that actually the then Lord Mayor Lawrence O'Neill and two other officials were recorded as registered owners of a number of tenement buildings.
0: Lawrence O'Neill, of course, a name associated with the uh, conscription crisis uh, very much. And who were the houses built for? Were they built for local working class families?
1: They were. Dublin at the time um, was going through a housing crisis. So following the Church Street tenement collapse, the corporation found themselves reviewing the dire need for safe housing for the working class of the city. And the housing conditions for this section of Dublin's community was found to be unacceptable and unsanitary. So Alderman Thomas Kelly, chairman of the housing committee at the time, is quoted as saying that good housing was a principal weapon in fighting tuberculosis, which was rampant in the city. The Fairbrothers Field Housing Scheme was specifically built for the working class uh, of Dublin. There was a selection process for the allocation of the houses and they had to follow some criteria. Um, The family had to be living within Dublin City. The head of the household had to be in employment and there had to be a minimum of three children within the family.
0: It was a pretty radical scheme, but one of the most radical elements of the scheme was that the tenants could eventually buy their own houses.
1: Yeah. I would certainly think so. I mean, it must have been absolutely fantastic. When you think about who these houses were being built for and the time that was in it, I've studied the first list of applicants. So of the 25 applicants um, for the first 25 houses to be completed, there was only one that was female, and I, I presume she was a widow. The head of each family was in um, low-paid employment, including the woman, and four of them working within Dublin Corporation. The rest were in very skilled and unskilled jobs. Um, But all of them were in rented accommodation and the majority in tenements with little chance of ever owning their own home. So for this to come about, can you imagine the, the, the sense of pride and place that each person would have felt when they were informed that they were successful in applying? So personally, I think, and I've said it before, that it would have been the equivalent today of winning the lotto. Um, they were also encouraged and helped along, you know, to keep up payments and not go into arrears, and um, by the very fact that um, on Wednesdays, and my own mum remembers running into, up to the rent office on Wednesdays with the rent, so that there was no excuse, and, and rent could be collected within the very area that you were living.
0: And I gathered that the rents were not standardised; there weren't uniform rents. It depended on your income.
1: Yeah. The income coming into the household. So that didn't just mean the main head of household's income. If they had children that were of working age or anybody actually living in the house, they could have a lodger. It was all of that income coming into the house that would have been calculated um, as to what rent they would pay each week.
0: What about the design of the houses? Did they all look exactly alike?
1: Uh, No, no. And actually, it was really, really... um, lovely to see the different and I was very very aware of growing up of the different designs Um I was always very interested in architecture so I think the architects and planners had really great fun with this design uh, the layout and style of development was very different from its predecessors. To my eyes it's, it's like something of a dolly mixture of ideas and styles <laughs> uh, it, it really you know when you look around and, and there's all different angles and And, you know, people come in around the tenters area and they get this day's look about them because it can be a bit of a maze. But I know there was, you know, there was mistakes with housing before. They'd seen the tenement living and and eventually over the the 12 years, there was a design um, settled on. And it was loosely based on the English town planner, um, a guy by the name of Raymond Unwin. And he had proposed um, a garden suburb idea and that was accepted. So this idea was later um, perfected. and and later used in the Merino housing scheme. But the Tenters area, or the Fairbrothers Fields housing scheme, it was the ideal situation to try out different designs and ideas. Um, It was state of the art at the time. The the houses themselves were fantastic. The Corporation of Dublin certainly sees the chance to showcase what they could do for the people of the new free state. And that, again, is where the budget went um, and incorporated within the development you had different frontages and angles. You had pebble dashing, a mix of different brick finishes, all made locally. I've seen the when the tender went out for one million bricks was given um, to the Dublin Brick Company. And they were just located um, up here on Drimner around Dolphin's Barn area. Um, and then very soon after that, another order went out for three million more to complete the project. Um, they all had five rooms. And one of them was deemed necessary to be a parlour. And that would have seemed to everybody, you know, just a really unnecessary luxury for that area. But it was noted that it was psychologically important to provide this good room, as some people would call the parlour. Um, and Really, really good foresight on behalf of the city planners and architects of the time. They, they gave just that little bit extra Every house had their own front doors. We were saying before their a back garden, a front garden. A lot of them used the back gardens as uh, allotments and grew fruit and vegetables. While the front gardens were bursting at the seams um, with flowers. Uh, it was just fantastic, a fantastic area.
0: You mentioned the names of a few streets. Uh, they're very interesting, and you can talk about uh, some of those in a moment. But it, it was yeah. not always thus. Not at the very beginning. It's a bit confusing, no, isn't it? No.
1: Yeah, no, my mum has um, a story about, um, so her grandmother brought her up in, in the house in the tenters, and her grandmother was from Wicklow, and she used to get lost every time she'd come home from nearby Mead Street, you know, um, because it was like a maze, so each of the roads were, were named Road A, B, C, D, you know, and on, um, and it wasn't until all of the houses were completed that the names actually were proposed.
0: And the streets, the roads were called after Irish poets. I think in the main, weren't they, or historians? Uh,
1: well, well, actually, um, probably more historians. Um, that and that's where I first really had a lightbulb moment about the area where I've always known and, and grown up. I was studying in UCD for my certificate in Irish genealogy, and I started to recognise the names of the Irish historians. They were on my my book list, you know. And um, they were the same as the streets I grew up. So we had the likes of O'Curry and O'Donovan and Jeffrey Keating and Petrie and Gilbert. And every time I'd hear the name, you know, I was a mature student. Um, I wasn't very cool. Uh, and every time I'd hear one of those names, I'd go, "Oh my God, that, that's a road where I live. That's a, you know where I live." And actually, my tutor Sean Murphy was very good, and he picked up my my excitement. You know. Um, and he encouraged me to make a short presentation to my class on the topic of the Tenter's, um, and something I'll be internally grateful to him for because that really was the start of my interest in local history. So yeah, there were poets, um, historians. It was they were all Irish figures, um, and again, it was really a, a sign of, of what the new free state wanted for the people. They were there was. There was other um, names like O'Carroll and, you know, there, were, there poets and musicians um, as well. And of course, then we have our famous Oscar Square, um, which is a park or a playground. It's named after Oscar, um, son of Oisin, who was one of the leaders of the Fianna. Great foresight as well that they provided what they called a playground because they knew it was always going to be young families coming in. So therefore, the children would have needed somewhere to just literally run around and, and, and go wild, you know. Fabulous place
0: your own family, how far back do you go? Does your family go? Were you amongst the original inhabitants, the the original tenants?
1: Yeah, yeah. So my family um, on both sides. So my dad's family um, moved into the area uh, in the mid-30s. So they didn't move into a brand new um, uh, house. He also, there was quite a few uh, um, young children in the family. So his father brought the children with him um, to live in in the house. That's that he fulfilled those that criteria, but actually my my paternal grandparents were involved in weaving um, around the same area around Newmarket, and then on, on his father's side his people were were only from around New New Street, which is only about five minutes away. So we were always from around that area on my father's side, and his sister, my aunt Kathleen, still lives in the same house in the Tenter's today. Um, on my mother's side, so my mother's grandparents were among the founding families from the very start. They moved into a brand new house when my, um, my mom's dad, my grandfather, was 14 years old. And my great-grandmother, his mother... Uh, was originally from County Wicklow and, and she was so um, fortunate to get a house that they had the orientation of looking up to what she called um, the Wicklow Mountains. You know we used to call them the Dublin Mountains but <laughs> she always said the Wicklow, no oh, no they're the Wicklow Mountains because that was a link to her home place and her birthplace and it was so lovely and I've, I've always known that 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 story has always you know travelled through and we can still see them today. Um, so my mom um, was brought to that house when she was age three, when her own mother died, um, along with her three brothers. Um, my grandfather brought her there. Uh, hence, my, my great grandmother brought her up and she still lives there today. So I was born to that house and I didn't move too far away either. So I'm about 50 yards away from my mom. <laughs>
0: Now, I think in terms of the centenary, it's hard to know where you actually fix a centenary. 2022, I think, was the turning of the first sub. But as you said, the process really begins 10 years earlier. So you're not waiting until 2022. You're getting, no. you're getting started straight away. I know you've planned a series of events for when the pandemic restrictions ease up. But in the meantime, there will be a lot of online content. You're planning, for example, a virtual photographic exhibition on your Facebook page featuring the collection of Tenters resident and Dublin Corporation photographer Billy Mooney. But you're also looking for former Tenters to get in touch.
1: Absolutely. Um, we would envision some type of a gathering and I think the timing wise for 2022 will probably come you know, very welcome um, idea um, insofar as if, like the diaspora of of people who have lived um, within the Fairbrothers Fields dash Tenters area. Um, And I must just note at this stage, while the Fairbrother Fields area is is what we're celebrating the centenary, the Tenters area, you know, has has grown outwards. So it encompasses a lot of streets around and, and, and we're all, you know, under the one umbrella. So hopefully if they can get in touch with us, Um, And keep an eye on our Facebook page. And the
0: Facebook page is Tenters 100.
1: Tenters 100. And we have an email address as well, which is One Hundred at gmail.com. So we're keeping the theme together. uh, Tenters 100, just to try and make it as easy as possible for people to get in touch.
0: Well, thank you very much for talking to us. Although 2022 obviously is going to be dominated by events commemorating the irish civil war some of them i would say quite difficult events there'll be something very positive to commemorate and that's the building of the tenters absolutely yeah a community that's still going strong today and we will put those contact details you mentioned on our website maria again many thanks for joining us this evening and uh, the very very best of luck with those uh, wonderful celebrations
1: thanks miles thanks so much
0: That's all we've got time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. Our researcher is Liz Gillis. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer Lorcan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening.